0: We're the Satellite Sisters. We're the Satellite Sisters. I'm Sheila Dolan here with my sisters, Liz, Leon, and Julie. Monica Dolan is in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to You're the Best Encore interviews from the Satellite Sisters. Former President Bill Clinton, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Thank you. I'm glad to hear your voice. We're talking to Nora Ephron. What a thrill to have Julia Louis Dreyfus on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, this is fun for us. I loved this book. I laughed. <laughs> I cried. Elizabeth Gilbert, welcome to Satellite Sisters. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Welcome. To You're the Best Encore Interviews. Encore Interviews from the Satellite Sisters. From the Satellite Sisters. We are the Satellite Sisters. I am Liz Dolan. I'm here with my sister, Leanne Dolan. And this is another in our You're the Best series of Encore Interviews. These are our favorite Satellite Sisters interviews from over the years. We went back and we listened to many, many, Leanne, right? We did. We did. All of them were fun. But some of them were just more in the spirit of friendship than others. And this is one that, that we all loved. This was our discussion with Tina Brown, a uh, famous editor of many magazines, including Vanity Fair and The New Yorker. But she had just published her biography of Princess Diana. And, of course, you know, all of the Satellite Sisters were in the Diana camp, um, <laughs> a- a- including you, Leah, including you. This is part of our Satellite Sisters book club. Right. And I was very nervous to talk to Tina Brown because she's a big deal. Uh, you know, she was, she's a mucky muck. And uh, this, it seemed like a complicated situation. I know it's just an interview about Princess Diana, but she intimidated me. And she could not have been nicer on the air from the second she got on, uh, even before warm, lovely, happy to talk to us, thrilled we had picked the book as our Satellite Sisters book club. And Liz, she's just a phenomenal storyteller. Isn't she? I mean, amazing. She's a great writer and editor and, and journalist, but amazing storyteller. Yes, and she knew Diana when she was a young woman starting out as an editor in London. And so they obviously sort of traveled in the same circle. So she had kind of an inside track on understanding the psychology and particularly the class dynamics that were going on there, which I think we acknowledge in the interview, Americans just don't get that. We We didn't really understand like some of the clashes or why Diana was always running afoul of things. Another thing that I appreciated in this, because Julie is still on the anti Camilla bandwagon. I know. She won't Camilla let takes quite a beating in this interview. She, she does. Yeah, and The I believe that Dina Brown refers to the whole Camilla uh long term Camilla affair and how much of a cover up there was there by Charles's friends as an appalling conspiracy of class. Yeah. Which That's the kind of thing that only Tina Brown can get away with saying. Liz, I wrote that line down, too. Right. It is that it was just summed up the whole the whole interview. Right. It was appalling. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So the, you know, Tina Brown, like many of the people that we have picked for our You're the Best Encore interviews, She has just continued to go on to greatness, Mm -hmm. you know? So she now runs a business called Women in the World. Do you ever follow that on Twitter? I do. Yeah, I do. They always have fascinating things to say. She does summits and salons and debates and, uh, basically with, you know, women who really have something important to say in the world from, you know, the very serious to the, the, the very fun. And so she just continues to put herself out there. And so, you know, someone like Tina Brown, we just always felt was a solid gold satellite sister, even though before we talked to her, we were intimidated. All right. This is Tina Brown on Princess Diana on Satellite Sisters.
1: I cannot remember when we've been this excited to talk about our Satellite Sisters Radio Book Club pick of the month. I mean, we've had a lot of great biographies and memoirs by and about women as Satellite Sisters Book Club picks. But this may be the ultimate one. This month, we're talking to author and journalist Tina Brown about her book, The Diana Chronicles, which is, of course, about Princess Diana. You know Tina Brown. She's an award-winning journalist, and she was the editor of Tatler Magazine when she was in her early 20s, and Princess Diana was just coming to uh, public fame in England. Then she moved on to Vanity Fair, became the first female editor of The New Yorker, and now she's written The Diana Chronicles, which is an absolutely fascinating biography of an absolutely fascinating woman written with an insider's voice and a detail that only Tina Brown could provide. Tina, welcome to Satellite Sisters. I'm so thrilled to be with you guys. Oh, we love this book, Tina. (laughs) (laughs) How is it that we thought we could know everything we needed to know about Princess Diana, and yet every page? It was a page-turner. There was some new detail. Was it the fact that you talked to 250 people, including Tony Blair, about
2: her? (laughs) Well, it could have been that. It could also sort of been the fact I sort of lived through that era when I was editing in London and knew her and and knew her friends and knew who to call when I wanted to interview. You know, we got lots of great new stuff that people haven't had before, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been talking about it for a month. But one thing that's really clear, Tina, you mentioned you knew her in England and you first met her in 1981, and, and you had lunch with her only weeks before she died in 1997, you and Anna Wintour and Princess Diana all having lunch in New York discussing her charity auction. One thing that's clear is that despite sort of, all of her flaws. You really liked Princess Diana.
2: I liked her very much because she had that incredible gift which the most accessible people have, which is that within minutes of of meeting her, she becomes your absolute girlfriend. You know, she was willing to confide. She was willing to reveal. She was willing to allow, you know, a you to kind of, you know, participate really in her hopes, fears, and weaknesses. And that's an unusual thing for a major global celebrity to be willing to do. So it was impossible not to like someone who, who, you know, who has such a gift for intimacy, really.
1: You know, you've met almost everybody. You mentioned a major global celebrity. Can you think of anybody else that might compare to that sort of intimate personal
2: giving? Well, in some ways, Bill Clinton has a little of what Diana has in the sense that, you know, he also has a great gift for being able to connect with the people that uh, he meets immediately. But Diana had a lot more than that, because, you know, with Clinton, you're always aware, of course, uh, that it's about politics in mm-hmm. a way. And with Diana, it was always about human connection. You know, she really hadn't got anything to gain particularly by being so available. But she just had that wonderful ability to connect immediately. It was partly to do with the fact she was a very good listener. And she loved to, to hear what you had to say, which of course is always a way to make intimacy. But also, you know, I think because she had such an inf- inferiority complex intellectually, because she never really felt she was very bright. You mm-hmm. know, she always had that wonderful feeling about her that she was the girl next door in a way and you were kind of enlightening her so it was a it was a very attractive quality
1: do you think the fact that she you know came to of age to such prominence when she was 19 she always stayed 19 in a way i mean one of the things that struck me was that diana was a couple years older than me i was 13 when she got married so i always thought of her as being older and when i read the diana chronicles I just kept thinking, oh, my gosh, she was so young. It's
2: almost as if Diana has got younger and younger, the more her initial audience got older. It's true. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. Now my my daughter is 16, I think. You know, why didn't I understand at the time what it was to be getting married, you know, the Prince of Wales at 19? You know, when you think that Diana, by the age of 21, was a mother, um, a, a wife, a global celebrity, a princess struggling with the House of Windsor, and also dealing with the fact that, you know, her husband, who was 12 years older, was already, you know, was in love with somebody else. I mean, how many girls of 19 have to deal with that little load of problems?
1: Nobody. Zero. None of the sisters.
2: Sisters, anybody have that load of problems? No. It's a heck of a lot to deal with. And then people say, which annoys me, well, she knew what she was getting into. I'm sorry, but... I don't think I know of any young woman of 19 who, who could possibly have known they were getting into all of that.
1: Yeah. You know, one of, as we were reading it, um, Tina, we were talking, the sisters would come in every day at work and we'd say, oh, did you get to this part yet? Oh, did you get to that part? Because <laughs> one, you, you have a lot of new facts and details, but two, we read it with sort of Americans eyes and Americans knowledge, which means we don't, okay, we don't get the whole monarchy thing, first of all. We have some, pro- we just don't really <laughs> understand it to the depth that you live it. Um, and so there were some things I wanted to ask you about sure. just as an American. Sure. First thing I didn't realize was that Diana's family, the Spencers, really had much a much longer, more illustrious history in England than Charles's family, the Windsors. They absolutely
2: did. I mean, for 500 years, that, that family had sort of been the top family. Um, they were an older family than the Windsor family in terms of English pedigree. Um, you know, for 500 years, the Spencers had been mixed up with royalty all along uh Diana's you know grandmothers both of them were ladies in waiting to the queen um her father had been a query which is like personal assistant to queen elizabeth the um but you know from, from the from the 15th century the, the, the spencers have been mixed up with the royals and You know, they had one of the great stately homes of England. They really did. I mean, the picture collection at Althorp is as good as anything at Windsor. And in many ways, it's a much grander house than Sandringham, which is one of the Queen's sort of premier palaces. I mean, they are a very, very grand family.
1: And you said really being a Spencer was a lot more of a formative experience in her life than being a princess or a celebrity.
2: Well, it was in a way because you know, at 14, when her grandfather, uh, the, the seventh Earl, died, her father became Earl Spencer, and they moved from the house where she'd been raised—a a smaller Victorian house called Park House in the shadows of Sandringham, where it was on the, um, on the, literally on the Queen's Park land—and they moved into this stately home, Althorp, in Northamptonshire. And I think when Diana entered those doors at 14, she finally kind of understood exactly who she really was. Mm -hmm. As she walked down that long picture gallery and saw all these people, like the, you know, the Duchess of Marlborough, and you know, the whole kind of history of her family. They they married into the the the, uh, Marlborough family, and so you have a Spencer Churchill, the great, you know, the, the ancestors of Winston Churchill. It's an amazing family, it really is. And I think as she walked down those picture galleries and saw these great figures of English history looking down at her, she kind of, it consolidated her sense of her own destiny and her own pedigree. And uh, shortly before uh, the divorce proceedings, when Prince Philip was trying to sort of bully her into accepting terms she didn't want to for the divorce, you know, he called her in and he said to her, you know, Diana, if you don't accept the terms we're offering, you know, we're going to take your title away from you. And uh, he uh, and he said, "If you don't behave, my girl, we'll take your title away from you." And Diana looked at him straight in the eye and said, uh, "Philip, my title is much older than yours." Good yes. for her. Good for, Good for her. Diana. And we, it was we that cheering. great that, that great sort of moxie that she had in a way came from being a Spencer.
1: Yeah, I just – we didn't get that. I had no idea. You think, you know, Windsor's, they're the top dogs in England when you're over here uh, in America. All right, the other thing we don't get, Tina, because, you know, we kind of frown on public figures having mistresses, like, for their whole careers,
2: is the whole <laughs>
1: Camilla thing. I mean, okay, I, I just – everybody knew, everybody was in on it from the get-go. I mean, you have to read the Diana Chronicles. We're talking to Tina Brown to get all the details – But it is just unbelievable that, you know, from the night she was engaged, Camilla left a note on her pillow, Diana's pillow, to just the friends being in cahoots, shuttling Charles and Camilla. I know. It was
2: an absolutely uh, appalling kind of conspiracy of class that surrounded uh, Charles. You know, the, the awful thing for Camilla for Diana in a way, in which I only really understood when I'd done my research, uh, was that the whole kind of rise of Camilla and the rise of Diana were always entwined from the very beginning. We're talking about the Charles had, was with already Sally in love Ford with her uh, when a he was great engaged to book, Diana, which is He'd a been lovely her, you know, gift been his for, friends, for a friend. That's I um, what I was thinking. Um, right? on on. It is. It's a nice little and, you know, birthday uh, gift. Really, the, it was the royal family was so anxious about Camilla's role in Charles's life that made, made them go for Diana in the first place. I mean, basically, uh. the biggest fear that the royals had was that he would wind up, that Charles would wind up like Edward VIII, abdicating for Mrs. Simpson. Um, You know, they thought, what if Charles never gets married, that he's going to be obsessed with this married woman forever, because he was 32 by this time, and it was high time he found someone. But all the girls he dated, none of them were, were right, it seemed for him. And, of course, they weren't right, because he was already in love with Camilla. So basically, the Queen Mother and the Queen got together and said that we have to get him married off. We have to find somebody. It was at that point that their eyes alighted on on the blushing um, uh, Diana Spencer because... Dana was virtually the last virgin left in the British <laughs> Isles. <Island. I mean, laughs> that's that's I mean, clear. You talked to many fine women who
1: dated Charles, none of them, whom were virgins, but all seemed virgins. to be I excellent mean, people. I mean, but who
2: was a virgin in, in 1980? I mean, this was the era of the sex pistols. This was an era, you know, post-feminism when girls were, you know, were absolutely, you know, punk and all the rest of it. Girls weren't sort of keeping themselves um, tidy, as Diana used to say, in her quaint fashion, you know, for a Prince of Wales. So here was Diana, who was this blushing virgin from the Shires, whose family was 500 years old, whose father had worked for the Queen, whose grandmother had worked for the Queen Mother. I mean, what could be more perfect than Diana? And they pushed her, you know, so hard at Charles. And he himself was thinking, well, i better just get this thing done. I'd better marry the best thing around. And it was in a strange way. Diana had such an amazing gift for, for, for the press. I mean, the press always loved her. And she always understood how to pose for pictures. I think really because her father was a great amateur photographer. And I think that, mm. you know, he used to love photographing Diana. And I tend to think that Diana um, always associated the camera with love. You know, she, she always saw the camera as her father's affectionate eye. And she was so good at that that as Charles saw more and more how the media were in love with her, the public was in love with her, he sort of gradually sort of thought he was in love he with her, too. He was in love with her, too. Well, we're talking to Tina Brown. So,
1: Tina, I want to sort of skip to the, the tragic end, um, because one of the things I just didn't realize, I think we all remember watching Diana's funeral, and we all remember her brother, Earl Spencer, giving that astonishing eulogy that really, you know, kind of, Put it all out there and opened Diana up and talked about everything from the eating disorder to, you know, raising her kids. And you make the point in the book that this was just astonishing. I didn't realize the queen was his godmother. I know it's,
2: it's really an amazing thing. I mean, when 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 Charles Spencer made that address. It was like the whole history of the Spencers coming down on the whole history of the Windsors because the Spencers at their prime in the 18th century were what is known in England as Whigs, W-H-I-G-S. This was the party, really, that was the anti-royal party. This was the party that really, uh, in a sense, was the behind-the-scenes kind of opposition most of the time to the royal family at the time. So in some ways, when Charles Spencer got up and did this aria from the pulpit, he was really like... <laughs> history coming back to haunt the Windsors. It was like here were these wigs from the past, the old Spencer past, bearing down on them with their terrible insolence towards the royal family. And, you know, they were all sitting there in that church with their stiff backs, staring at Charles Spencer while he kind of basically insulted them. I mean, if you remember... He said, you know, that, that talked about the kind of awful miseries of this marriage and then talked about how he wanted, quote, his the, her blood family, which was the really damning thing, her blood family, meaning the Spencers, to be responsible for the raising of the boys so that they would have some of the joy, you know, that, that she brought into their, their lives when she was their mother. And it was a really, uh, uh when you think about it, I mean, here's the Queen of England, who's never been spoken like that by anybody. See, we
1: didn't know. We didn't no, know that, Tina. We just thought it was a moving emotional tribute no. from mother People mother. Cr-
2: clapped in the church. They did, and it's so interesting because there was this stunned silence. And apparently, that when you know, all the people inside the church said there was like, the silence was so intense after the speech, it was almost like, you could cut it with a knife. It was almost like a velvet silence. You could feel the silence. It was such a moment of tension. And then there was this sound that came from outside. And at first, it sounded like rain drumming on the the roof of Westminster Cathedral. But actually, what it was was the sound of clapping outside as the crowd went crazy. And the clapping just came right, it almost like swept through the aisles of the church. And people in church all then stood. And that was just this incredible moment of theater. And the royals just sat there, just completely, you know, frozen. It and, makes you want to go back and look at the videotape again, doesn't it, well, now that see, we know was, what see, The cameras us? were not on the royals at the time, oh. because the cameras had really been told to stay away from the family. They had agreed to kind of not photograph the boys and not photograph the family, but okay. it was a real moment in the, in, in, the, in the church. And afterwards, Prince Philip and the Queen were livid. I mean, the people, I, I've talked to all the people who went back to the palace with them, and they were livid. I mean, mm. they were just utterly livid. And Prince Philip was so livid, but he actually consulted his uh one of his uh oldest, most kind of, you know, treasured friends who was um Lord Mountbatten, his oldest friend's um uh his son-in-law uh, lord braborn and he who was a film producer and he consulted him because he thought he was media savvy and he said to him you know what the hell are we going to do about this we're going to have to go public with a statement about this speech we're going to have to do something and lord braborn said to him you know sir do nothing do absolutely <laughs> nothing you cannot make any kind of response to this 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 too shall pass you must just let this pass and so they did say nothing but a kind of deadly uh, relationship then ensued between the Spencers and the Windsors and really lasted really almost to this day. I mean, you're going to see, you know, in a week's time at the right. memorial service, actually, that Spencer again makes a speech from the from the um, memorial. But that's we're going sort of, to be watching with different eyes. Yes, this we time, are. We Gina, are. But this time, we this time you'll find it a very conciliatory speech because William this time, Prince William, has made it absolutely clear that he wants this to be a, a, a ceremony of, of reconciliation. And the whole point is the the royals are all going, the Queen who as we know never comes down from Balmoral as we saw from that movie, the Queen. We, so
1: we love the movie. We, we love, love
2: it. She's going to attend. Camilla is going to attend, <gasps> which is an amazing thing. And there's been some feeling that she shouldn't, but she is going to attend, very much at the behest of William and Harry, who say we've got to all be there together. And the brother, again, is going to make his speech. But it's very interesting. At the dedication of the Diana Fountain uh, some years back.
1: So much fun to talk to you. Tina Brown's book is The Diana Chronicles. We
0: cannot recommend it highly enough. Thanks for listening. You're the best. For more You're the Best Encore interviews or Satellite Sisters podcasts, go to Satellitesisters.com or iTunes. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sister. Call your Satellite Sister. Call your Satellite Sister.